podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. I'm Chris. I hope you're good. Alongside me, as ever, two other long-suffering Derby County fans. They never suffer from the January blues. It's Tom Martin. Hello there. And Richard Kutcher. Hey up. So the Rams are in round four of the FA Cup. Well, technically, at the time of recording, with the draw set to be made later on as we put the pod together. And it was another comeback that saw Derby County take Premier League Southampton to a replay. We'll cover all the talking points from that one. And the January sales are on. So will Derby be looking to snap up a bargain to shore up that leaky defence? And later on, it's leaders Leeds United at the weekend. So later in the pod, we're getting intel on the Rams' next opponents. Can Bielsa's boys keep up the pace with the chief football writer from the Yorkshire evening post but it's the FA Cup we're concentrating on at first anyway uh, Derby 2 Southampton 2 a, uh, a curveball one for you Kutch first off what's your uh, what's your favourite FA Cup cliche I love, an, I love an FA Cup cliche me I think usually it's got to be the uh, classic um, commentators and media becoming very obsessed with footballers that do ordinary, in quote, jobs. So the milkman that scores a last-minute winner or or the postman delivering a, a cup shock performance. But I thought, actually, this year, there's been some great stories from the dugout this year, hasn't there, uh, in the FA Cup, with um, Darren Curry's Barnet going to Sheffield United. Obviously, Darren Curry's uncle was a Sheffield United legend, I think voted their best ever player, and obviously putting a win in, put, taking them to, to victory there. And then Pete Wilde taking his Oldham team to beat Fulham. And I think the story behind... Pete Wilde is that he'd already bought a ticket in the away end, not knowing that he'd end up being in the dugout and then leading them to a famous victory at, at the cottage. So I think normally it's those those obsessions with part-time footballers, but I thought there were some great stories about some some young upper-kind managers this year too. Yeah, the postman that always delivers, that sort of thing. It's a, it's a tried and tested one, isn't it? Um, mine is, I've got two actually. I love people who take, like, cut out tinfoil FA Cups to the matches. That is brilliant. I was like, or when there's there's like the tin four ones, and there's also the lesser spotted inflatable FA Cup, isn't there? You get some of them every so often. I, um, pre- I prefer the tin foil ones. It shows a homemade. Yeah, it's like a bit of effort there, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. If we get to the playoff final, I'm making the tin foil playoff trophy. I'm taking it to Wembley. I look forward to it. To try and try and stop me. It's happening. <laughs> um, I also like. This is a bit niche, but I love when you watch like lower league teams in the FA Cup. This sounds a bit disrespectful, but sort of seeing players who don't really look like footballers, if you know what I mean. Like, I mean, I don't know, like in, in you know, top level professional football, a lot of players are quite similar in sort of build and stature, aren't they? They're like finely tuned, honed, muscular athletes. But like, you go a bit further down the pyramid and you get a few, you get a few shorter lads, a few taller lads, a few, uh, a few rounder lads. Like when I was watching the, um, I was watching Newport Leicester at the weekend, about 10 minutes to go, Newport, but on this guy, I swear it was like a some like a bouncer or something. It was just absolutely massive. Don't know who he was, but he just went at the back and like launched it upfield every time. And he like honestly he had like arms the size of tree trunks. It's an absolute unit. The other one is a former Luton player and now Tranmere Rovers player, Steve McNulty. Now he looks like your random bloke at the pub who buys everyone a pint on a Friday night because he's just got paid. Oh um, yeah, he's enormous. And he isn't is yeah. huge, yeah. An absolute monster. Yeah. But um, I remember seeing him when he was getting promoted for Luton and. He's a class player, got a good touch on him. And there was that guy who um, 
that idiot who like ate that pie for Sutton United last season, wasn't there? Oh, who yeah. who looked like he, he ate a lot of pies in general, but Anyway, you got one, Tom? What's your favourite cup cliche? Yeah, sticking on the non-league, it's the uh, you go into the television game at I don't know Histon or something like that, and it's people watching it climbing up pylons or uh, sitting on the banks at behind the ground, so they don't have to buy a ticket um, or they can't buy a ticket, and they're like watching it in any sort of way possible. It brings it back to the sort of the glory days of the fifties and sixties when like you try and scramble in any way yeah. um, into a football ground, and I love the FA Cup for that because it's such like a focus on the the little club who um who's playing and has done well like obviously Sutton you mentioned that at time uh Histon obviously when they beat uh, I think they beat Leeds United 1-0 like numerous others that you could mention but it's those those sort of scenes where have you watched the football game from um up at electricity pylon of course that always happens in the FA Cup no electricity pylons in and around Pride Park probably or uh, vantage points that you can uh, watch a game from but those who were inside the stadium saw a pretty decent tie, didn't they? 2-2. Derby uh, fighting back from two goals down in the second half with uh, a goal from Jack Marriott and then Tom Lawrence. Richard, you watched the whole thing. Was it a classic case of Derby struggling to perform for the whole 90 minutes, would you say, as we have done a few times this season? Or did you see it more as a, you know, a, a big show of character to compete with a side from the uh, division above? I think more of the former, to be honest, Chris. I think it was a, a similar pattern to many games this season. Obviously, it wouldn't be a derby match this season without going behind and without going behind first and in the first few minutes. Um, I think, to be honest, both teams have made quite a few changes and the first half reflected that. Neither Southampton were probably the better team and created uh, more clear-cut chances, but it was a pretty scrappy first half in general with not, not a lot of inspiration and at half time me and my friends were kind of a bit like oh not, not quite sure where we came up here for this one but second half it came to life and um you know we we, we showed some good stuff and, and we had that, that kind of spell and in, in the in 10 minutes in the second half where we got the two goals in quick succession having going having gone two goals down um the second half was a really a really entertaining game of football and both teams had good chances to win it. I wouldn't read too much into the performance in general. I think obviously there were some notable performances from the likes of Tom Lawrence, which we'll talk about a bit later. And, and Dwayne Holmes as well. I should say Dwayne Holmes was very impressive and, and definitely um, earned his man the match award. But it was quite a bitty performance. It's probably very useful to give uh, people like Max Lowe a good, a good run in the team uh, on Saturday and then uh, Dwayne Holmes and Tom Lawrence as well. But apart from that, I wouldn't say it was a particularly impressive performance, but it wasn't a bad performance either. I don't really want to dwell on, you know, the specific incidents where we could have defended better. Because, I mean, more than anything, we seem to have done it to death, really, in um, in recent podcasts. And we are going to come on to the general state of the back four a bit later on. But as we all know, you know, Derby went 2-0 down. I think we all agree that the first goal, Keo and Bogle could have both done a bit better. But the second one couldn't really do a huge amount about that from what I saw. I mean, it, you know, it was a terrific curled effort from Nathan Redmond who did give us problems for the for the whole game. But as you alluded to there, Richard, what I wanted to focus on instead was that game-changing display from Tom Lawrence. Um, scored one, made one on his return from injury. And uh, that assist for Marriott's goal, absolutely sensational. Latched onto that terrific through ball from Dwayne Holmes. And then the little turn and sort of that impudent flick over the defender just teeing it up you know in like a sort of almost like a five-a-side game or something for, for Marriott to hit that instinctive low volley into uh to get us back in the game and then the goal that he scored a few minutes later was uh, was even better but despite that Tom it does remain a bit of a Marmite player among 
some parts of the fan base, doesn't he? Why do you think it is that Tom Lawrence divides opinion as much as he does? I, I think it's because he frustrates so much. Like you saw two moments of absolute brilliance from him. Um, that flick up for Marriott reminded me of playing headers and volleys in a playground. It's just like, yeah, I've got loads of time. I'm going to flick the ball up, and someone's going to volley it, volley at home. It was it was class at the pace that he did it, and under the pressure he did it. And then he picked the ball up. He drove towards the defence. Then he um, he banged one uh, into the back of the net from decent distance out. Two moments of quality. When was the last time he did that? The last time he did anything. Um, as dangerous and as electrifying in a Derby shirt, I reckon was probably August or September. That's four months ago. Like that's why he's he's so um, there's so much such a divide on opinion about what Lawrence is. He's a great player. He could potentially be a great player, but um, he's not consistent enough, and that's the reason why for me. Kutch, there was a, a notable celebration from him when he did score. Did he gave it the old uh, fingers in the ears? Um, we'll never really know what he truly meant by that, but you can assume that he was having a little bit of a dig at the stick he was getting from the fans. Um, do you think the way he's treated by the Derby fans, good and bad, is reflected in his performances? Uh, yeah, I think it probably is. I think I agree with Tom. I think everything Tom said was was spot on there. I, I don't really see him as a... I, I think he definitely is a Marmite player amongst Derby County fans. I'm kind of very much down the middle of Tom Lawrence. It's, it's just frustrating because there definitely is a, is a player there. Um, and his two key interventions on Saturday really proved that. But apparently that was his first assist of the season, or his only assist of the season, according to the statistics I looked up today, which I found surprising. And he's contributed, I think, five goals as well. Um, so he, he can do more. I mean, obviously, Harry Wilson's got, what, like 10 goals this season? Uh, and one and only one assist, apparently. So Lawrence, who's probably a similar type of player, you'd say, uh, is, is kind of definitely way behind. But Lawrence should be looking at Harry Wilson's productivity whether it's from set pieces or open play and, and being delivering the same kind of numbers, Tom Lawrence should definitely be hitting double figures with the talent that he's got. And I think it's fair for fans to get on his back. I don't think it helps, but I can see why fans do get on his back because it's just frustrating because it is a team there. If There is a player there, sorry. And if you had Lawrence and Wilson and Mount all in the team performing consistently, we'd be probably a top two team. But that's that's the nature of young players. And I, I'm always of the opinion we've got to give them a bit more time be a bit more patient. He's definitely more productive under Lampard than he was under Rowett last season. So hopefully he stays fit for the second half of the season and we'll see more good moments than frustrating moments. Clearly he's a, he's got the talent there. Um, do you think perhaps it's, uh, Chris, do you think it's maybe about his body language and that might be a, a thing that fans don't like? I was literally just about to mention that, actually. I mean, I guess it's just the fact that he does some things that do tend to rub fans up the wrong way, don't they? There's... When things don't go his way, there's a bit of pouting, there's a bit of hands on hips. Um, but I was thinking about it, you know, Wilson does that occasionally, but he also comes up with the goods to get away with it, doesn't he? And, you know, there's a bit of body language there. There's, and for every moment of real quality, for every headers and volleys flick, there's like a free kick that he balloons over the bar, or there's like a, he takes a shot on and he'll blaze it wide or something. Um, he's got confidence, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't always quite do the bread and butter stuff that um, that gives him the right to take on those shots in the first place, you know. Maybe that's what Wines fans up about. Would you agree with that, Kutch? Yeah, possibly. But to be controversial, though, um, with Harry Wilson, okay, Harry Wilson's scored a lot of goals for us this season, a lot of very important goals and, and you know, kind of headline-grabbing goals for us. How much does Harry Wilson offer us outside of those wonder strikes? He's only got one assist for the season, you very rarely see him beat a man and get a, 
a very um, dangerous ball into the box. He's not putting it on a plate for many other players. Uh, Jack Marriott's got more assists than Harry Wilson this season. I would argue that in the first two months of the season, Tom Lawrence was much more productive than Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson struggled to get going. It's only been the last two months where Wilson started delivering much more consistent performances. I do think that we give our own players a much harder go than we give the players that we've got on loan. Mason Mount has been quiet for a couple of months and kind of got away of that. It was only towards the end of that run that people started questioning his place in the team. I'm not saying we should be questioning him and Harry Wilson. I think they've both been brilliant. I just think maybe we're a little bit harsh on our own players than we are on those players that have come from the so-called bigger clubs. And maybe the next few months could be the time for Tom Lawrence to shine. I totally see what you mean. I mean, that doesn't take away from the fact that you're going to get absolute pelters on the, on Twitter for that, for, <laughs> for saying that. But I can see I can see where you're coming from. But I guess, you know, some players react in different ways to, uh, to, to get in stick. Um, and I guess you can make the case that Lawrence does need that fire in his belly to, to make himself produce. Just to come back one more time there, uh, Chris. I mean, the, the perfect example is Harry Wilson giving the ball away against Norwich, wasn't it? Uh, before the second goal when we counter-attacked and it was actually you two that picked up it. I'd actually not really noticed it, but you two picked, picked me up on it and said it was more Harry Wilson's fault than Tamori's fault or Keogh's fault. Um, if that had been Tom Lawrence, I think a lot more fans would have picked up on it and been giving him belters and Harry Wilson kind of got away with that mistake uh, in that match, but Tom Lawrence would have been absolutely belted for it. Would Tom Lawrence have even chased back would be my question for it though. I think like <laughs> w- Wilson uh, Wilson does buzz around quite a lot and I think he takes players away. Um, people are quite... Co- uh, defenders I find they don't double up on Lawrence ever because they know what he does. He cuts inside onto his right foot and then he tries a pop shot and that's where they don't view him as a, a particularly dangerous individual uh, going forward. Whereas with Wilson, he picks in little gaps and holes and yeah, okay, maybe not uh, getting the assists you, as you mentioned, is he perhaps, if you're looking at things like that, is he getting secondary assists where he's dragging players away or he's laying off the pass, which then uh, set, creates the space to, for someone to cross the ball in? Um, I don't know in, enough and I haven't watched looked into those stats. But my argument for Lawrence, yeah, great start to the season. He then massively tailed off and I'd love him to come back and be consistent for the rest of the season. I can't really see it, unfortunately. Anyway, five goals for Lawrence in all comps this season, but... Um, streaking ahead for another in the goal goal scoring charts at least another positive is uh, Jack Marriott double figures now for the season he made it 10 in all competitions with that well taken instinctive volley to get Derby back into the game but Richard it's fair to say he should have made it 11 shouldn't he in the dying seconds what a chance it was that he blazed over the bar from Nugent's Nugent's, uh, through ball yeah I was pretty much already celebrating when I saw it was falling to him um, yeah, from from that breakaway, I, I was convinced that the net, the back of the net was going to bulge. It's just the kind of chance you really expect him to take. It was first time, one on one, inside the penalty area, and I can't believe it was him that put it over the bar. Um, it, I mean, it was it was almost left me speechless at the time because I, I turned to my friend and said, "If there's one person you want taking that chance, and that's Jack Marriott." Um, because he he actually broke through originally. I thought he'd wasted a chance played it back inside to Nugent and then got the ball back um, the second time to, to get a much better chance. But to be honest, Southampton had two really good chances at the end of the game as well. Um, so either team could have won it. But yeah, we really expected Merritt to, uh, to to smash the back of the net. But I guess we'll forgive him that one. And it's uh, two late chances, actually, which we really should have put away in recent games. If you look at it in hindsight, I know you, you have said 
rightly there that Saints had a, a fair few chances themselves but quite similar wasn't it to uh, to the chance that David Nugent had in the dying stages against Middlesbrough where the ball dropped to him in a very favourable position and he um, well at least he got it on target but um, also probably should have done a lot better Tom from that position yeah I think Nugent should have done better um, I thought he was a much simpler chance and he just placed the placed his chance right into the goalkeeper's uh, midriff and I, I think he should have scored Marriott well when Kutra messaged obviously being at the game he said oh it's a sort of chance that Marriott would bury but I actually think it's quite a tricky one like he's he's reaching and stretching um, and there's a defender that slides in just in front of him so what he's trying to do is lift it into the sort of top corner um, and he gets he does get it massively wrong um, but I didn't think it was a, a a glorious chance I thought it was a very good one but I didn't think it was one that he definitely should have scored Nugent on the other hand I don't know how he's missed it and that should have been three points how we've only got two points from Borough is an absolute travesty this season because um, we absolutely destroyed them away from home and we should have won that one in the last minute there bit of a um, selection headache now for Lampard I'd say Richard because uh, one player who's um, really taken his chance from the minutes he's had is little Dwayne Holmes it's been a revelation hasn't it he's been terrific came on against Norwich Turned the game, got a secondary assist, as uh, Tom's called it there. Um, he start against Middlesbrough, or did he come on? Came on against Middlesbrough, made a great impression there as well. And then in the cup against Southampton, was man in a match as well. I mean, can we fit him into the team as first choice as a first choice midfielder? I, I would say so because I think um, I don't think anyone has really held down the the wide positions um, in in the kind of the four three three formation that. The Lampard prefers, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't start him as a start as a first choice central midfielder. If if Wilson's fit, I'd like to have him and Mount there. Um, but Holmes, I think, would be. He played from the. He started from the left um, on on Saturday, and I thought he looked excellent. He's happy to go. You know, he's so quick on the ball. He glides. He keeps the ball close to him. He very rarely loses the ball when he's dribbling. Um, he's got. He's got a good passing range, and he can go outside or inside. And I think. Um, he's he looks much more dangerous and creative than than Joseph soon. Um, he's a different type of player than Waghorn when he plays in that position. I think he's more reliable than Tom Lawrence, um, and and he leaves players for dead. He's not he's not scared to run from his own half as well. The amount of times he relieves the pressure for us by picking the ball up in kind of more of like a left back or left wing back position, and um, play the pass inside or or beating a man out wide and and carrying the ball forward, um, and he creates. Yeah, I think. Defenders are scared of him. He he creates danger whether it's off the bench or starting. I would love to see him start on Friday night in one of the two wide positions against Leeds. So Tom, going back to the Borough game, uh, Derby scoring very early, but then conceding uh, from a second half. Yeah, it was a second half header, wasn't it? Um, watching that game, if we'd have maintained those levels from the opening ten minutes for longer, we probably could could have got that second goal, couldn't we? But as has happened a few times this season, we let. The uh, we let our opponents back into it and conceded again by failing to cut out a cross. Oh, I've started ranting about defending again. I can't even help it. <laughs> but we conceded again by failing to cut out a cross. Yeah, I mean it is frustrating seeing the seeing us diff- make the same mistakes at the back time and time again. Um, we made some that we've made before uh, against uh, Southampton on Saturday. Uh, we made them again again against Middlesbrough. And in fact, Borough should have scored a couple of minutes later. Uh, from another header from uh, from across into the box it's it just seems to be time and time again we make those mistakes but you say that it, obviously we started well against Borough we had a, a good chance um I was reading on the uh, BBC commentary at, at, after about sort of 60 minutes or so 
um, that we hadn't had a shot on target since that point and uh, the radio was quite cutting about our offensive uh, display at Boa until the last sort of 30 minutes when we really took the game to them uh, and perhaps should have won it as we mentioned with Nugent so I think there's a there's a few things still to work on with this this Derby side we've, we're okay at times and we can be brilliant at times and then we can be frustratingly bad at times um, and too often it's at the back we're frustratingly bad it's just only playing well in patches isn't it we're doing it again and again and again but Richard, coming on to uh, Southampton, so another game in the uh, in the schedule that you know we don't really need, and uh, and they don't really need either, to be honest. Like a midweek trip down to the south coast in probably about ten days' time, or or about a week's time now, actually. Derby made six changes for the first for the home tie at Pride Park. Um, I found it a little bit peculiar. I was half expecting Lampard to put out a stronger team, to be honest, given the way he talks about the cup. In, uh, in his pre-match really talking about how much he loved the competition and everything and how we'll be going out there to win it I guess he would make the argument that he put out a team he thought was strong enough to win it but I did expect to see a slightly stronger team but how strong a side do you think Frank should be putting out in the replay? I think it would be a similar type of team choice I don't think it was that weaker team I think Max Berber is the only surprising one uh, that he played, considering that Max Lowe, I think, was always going to start because he'd just come back from uh, his loan and he's the only left back and natural left back in the squad who's fit at the moment. Um, so I think it'll be a similar thing. I think we'll, he'll he'll use the squad a little bit where he can, but he's got his hands tied, doesn't he, at the back. We've only got two fit central defenders now um, in the squad. Um, mid, we know the midfield options. You know, Bryson got a game on Saturday. He hadn't started for a few games. So um, I think it'll be a similar thing. I think it'll be about what you... If you said what our first choice 11 is, I think you'd probably say six or seven of those will be in with four more squad players getting an opportunity to get minutes, which I think is about fair enough. I think it treats the competition with respect. I think we. I don't think you could say Frank Lampard disrespected the FA Cup at the weekend, but it also utilises the squad where we can utilise it. But I do think his options are, his options are limited at the moment. Do you think uh, Max Lowe did enough at left-back there to keep his place on Friday and then obviously to perhaps play against Southampton a few days later? Yeah, I thought he looked good. I thought he looked uh, relatively solid. Um, most of the problems came down our right-hand side uh, rather than our left-hand side. Um, he looked like he did at the start of the season, really quite assured in the ball and quite strong in the tackle. Um, I think, as with most young fullbacks, there's still a question over his positioning sense, which is a problem for us on, on the right side, as we know. So I think he's done enough. I think he'll probably keep the spot. I would like to see him start at left-back on Friday and Andre Wisdom uh, start at right-back. Still to come in the podcast, we're going to be talking to Phil Hay, the chief football writer for the Yorkshire Evening Post, and we're going to be talking the defensive dilemmas. Do we dip into the market? Do we not? If we do, who do we go for? And we've got some input from you guys on Twitter on that one as well. Steve Bloomers Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, the family-run micro-pub operator in Derby, with three venues across the city. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomers Washing. Back to the bread and butter of the promotion race this weekend then. The Rams travel to Yorkshire to take on table-topping Leeds United. They still lead the way at the top, but can Derby make it four defeats on the spin? For Marcelo Bielsa's men, and what are their weaknesses? To find out, Tom and I had a chat to the Yorkshire Evening Post's chief football writer, Phil Hay, who covers all things Leeds United, and here's what he told us. 
So, Phil, thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk to us. We want to ask you first, um, seven wins on the bounce release to take him to the top of the championship, but they lost their last three, of course, two in the league, and then they were dumped out of the cup by QPR recently, albeit with a weakened team. Just a blip for you, or can Leeds actually be caught by the rest of the top six? Oh, they, they can definitely be caught, but I, I don't think we're at the point of calling this a, a definite wobble yet. Um, it's It was the first time that they'd lost back-to-back games under Bielsa when they were, were beaten away at Nottingham Forest on New Year's Day, and, and obviously then the first time that they've, they've lost three games on the bounce. And he was asked on Sunday, you know, after the QPR game, specifically about this run of three defeats, and, and he said, look, they deserve to lose at Loftus Road, but quite honestly, I think far from saying that we we were unlucky to lose to Forest and Hull, we should actually have beaten both teams given the way we played and, and the chances we had. So I don't think anybody's in anybody's getting too panicked about this at the moment. I don't think anybody is seeing this as a as a concerted wobble. But Derby on Friday night is going to be the gauge of that, I think. If if Leeds have a bad result on Friday, then it is going to look like they've hit a, a rough patch of form, really for the first time with Bielsa as head coach. If if they write the ship on Friday, if they get a good result against Derby, um, make the table look a, a touch prettier right at the top again, then I don't think anybody will look at these two or three results as... As, as a very minor blip in isolation. Having finished uh, 13th in the league last season, Bielsa obviously came in and it's been a revelation. Leeds have been very impressive when I've seen them. What do you think is the biggest change that he's made to the uh, Leeds side this season? The surprising aspect when he arrived was how few changes he made to the squad. The core of the team at the moment is essentially uh, made up of players that he inherited. And as much as there was a bit of a call um, when he was appointed as head coach, a lot of fringe players who were either released or sold or, or sent away on loan, he did say to the club from the outset that he felt there was a core of about 14 or 15 that he could work with, a core of 14 or 15 that he definitely wanted to stay at the club. And they've made the basis of the team as opposed to signings who came in over the summer. There were only two permanent, who were Barry Douglas from Wolves and Patrick Bamford from, from Middlesbrough, very good players in their own right and, and expensive by Leeds' recent standards. The first thing he did with them was to tell virtually every every player to to lose weight and to shed body fat. And it wasn't that he had a, a problem with their basic conditioning. He just didn't feel that, that the condition they were in was going to allow them to play the style of football that, that he was looking for, which is possession-based, heavily possession-based, very dominant, and does require a, a high level of fitness. So, I mean, I, I always hark back to a conversation we had with Luke Ayling early on where he said that he came back really on his target weight that he'd been given at the end of last season and was told straight away by Bielsa or Bielsa's staff that he, he needed to lose half a stone and Ailing is Ailing to look at him is a thin player he's, he's quite skeletal doesn't have a lot of doesn't appear to have a lot of fat on him um, but that's been the same right the way through the squad every single player has, has been forced to change their, their shape and their weight and has, uh, to get below a body fat percentage of about of about 10 which is generally what, what Premier League clubs walk towards and and you've seen the difference in the way that they're playing you've seen the difference in the way that they've been able to cope fairly consistently over you know a longer period of games than just a you know flash in the pan 7 or 8 like they had under Thomas Christensen last season we're, we're up to 26 26 now in the top of the table by by two points it, it has made a difference um, it has helped them uh, but the style of play as well has been completely different the, the dominance of possession and I know a lot of managers 
do play like this or try to play like this. It, it is the trend of the day, but it's what Bales has been doing for years, and you can tell that him and his coaching staff have a, have a very clear way of implementing this and, and have, are very, very skilled at, at drumming it into the players extremely quickly. I mean, Leeds and Derby played on the, the second weekend of the season down at Pride Park, and I think it was pretty evident on the day, um, as it was right the way through August, how quickly and how well Leeds had adapted to, to his style of football. And it is extremely aggressive, it's extremely positive, it's a, it's a style which plays for goals even when Leeds are 2-1 up with a couple of minutes left. He, he just doesn't seem to have a negative strand in him. You know, in, in 12, 13 years of doing this job, this is the first time Leeds have had a head coach who's been bigger than any of the players in the dressing room and has been bigger than any any other individual at the club. So you mentioned the uh, that result back in August, Phil, probably one which Derby fans would prefer to forget, to be fair. But uh, when Leeds turned Derby over in Lampard's first home league game, uh, 4-1, it was Roof and Alioski who did the damage that day. Um, are they still Leeds' main danger men? It's certainly Roof. Bielsa's style has helped him a lot. He, he, he can play as a centre-forward without needing the physique of somebody like um, Martin Wycombe, for example, or Chris Wood, as Leeds had under under Gary Monk a couple of years ago because Bielsa plays to his feet because it is all on the ground and he's not requiring Roof to be particularly aerially strong uh, you can have a, a striker of his size and his physique in that role uh, and he's come up with a, a lot of goals again he's, he's well into double figures I think he'll probably reach 20 for the season and, and he's he's absolutely a player to watch he's turned into a real poacher Alioski divides opinion here um, despite the criticism he gets is always played by every head coach he works under I think he's been He's been the most, without being ever present, he's been the most present um, player under the past three head coaches at Leeds. Uh, I think that tells you a lot about how much they appreciate his contribution and, and his effort. But his quality from, from wide positions, I think, is questionable. His, his assists and goals are, are fairly scarce. The player you're looking for and the player you're looking out for is um, Pablo Hernandez. Um, he's He's been good ever since he's come to Leeds, but he's at, at 33 he's starting to look like the sort of player you'd have expected to see at Swansea when he was there and, and also at Valencia where, where he began his career. Uh, he's full of assists, um, already into double figures with that. He comes up with goals regularly. He is the player who, when it isn't quite happening for Leeds, you're looking to, to him to do it. He's so often the player who comes up with something just, just when Leeds need it. Um, and and he will be he will be extremely dangerous. I think it'll be a different game though this time round. No doubt at all that, that Leeds wiped the floor with Derby back in August. And I remember saying in, in the match report at the time that it was a, a pretty harsh welcome for Lampard to management. I remember looking at Lampard at four one down, hands in his pockets, and I think fairly sobering experience uh, having been turned over in in that way. But I've been really really impressed by the way they've recovered from that result and, and with how consistent in the main they've been under a, a pretty fledgling coach no matter how experienced and how good Lampard was as a player no matter all the, the, the trophies he won it's, it's completely different and I think you find out how different management is when you're standing on your own next to Bielsa taking a hiding from a, a very very good Leeds team um, but Derby looked like a Derby looked like a big threat to me and I I'm not convinced they'll make the top two, but I don't think they're out of the running for it at all. And, and I think for them, this on Friday is as, as crucial a game as it is for Leeds. You've alluded to this uh, in some of your answers there, but is there, how do you expect Leeds to set up on Friday? And is there any weakness that maybe uh, Derby could exploit from them at the moment? Yeah, it, it, it'll all depend on how 
um, how Lampard sets up Derby. I, I think I'm right in saying he tends to play with one up front, does he not? As, as tends to be the trend in the Championship. But uh, did Derby generally play with a, a single striker? As a rule, yeah. And then in, in recent games, he's um, he's brought Nugent on and, and he's played with Marriott as a two for the last sort of 20, 30 minutes. But he also has a very, very fixed way of dealing with um, with opposition lineups. Um, essentially, if, if the opposition play with a lone striker, he'll play with a back four. If um, the opposition play with two up front, he'll play with a back three, a, a sort of three-three-one-three formation, which was the kind of um, kind of crazy formation that he built his reputation on in, in Argentina. Uh, if it's a if it's a lone striker for Derby, it'll be a four-one-four-one system, and that he goes with so four at the back, roof on his own up front. But Adam Forshaw will most likely play as the one in front of the defence and then across the midfield um, you'll have Alioski there you'll have um, Hernandez in there Mateus Kleek as well and um, Bielsa mentioned recently that uh, he hasn't been that happy of how Leeds have defended set pieces is that potentially an area where um, where the Rams can get at them on Friday? Yeah, no, it, it has been it has been evident. There are two things that are frustrating him at the moment the concessions from set pieces is definitely one although it's hard not to it's very hard to criticise Bielsa or to, to pick fault with what he's done because of where they are in the table and you also have to sympathise with the number of injuries that he's dealt with which has been pretty extreme when when Janssen is the only recognised centre back in there there's an awful lot of pressure on him to deal with high balls and, and set pieces which he does he does regularly his, his, his number of, of clearances in every game is very high but he can't mark everybody and it's asking a lot of him to, to marshal um your opposition attack in those situations and it is a it is a definite weakness at the moment and it is a way in which Leeds are, are prone to conceding goals the, the other thing that's annoying Bielsa is the number of chances Leeds are needing to, to score themselves They, I think there is a feeling in Bielsa's head that they could be making it easier for themselves they, they have opportunities to you know, to win games by clearer margins to, to avoid things being so tight and, and putting so much pressure on themselves but it at the same time, it does feel a little bit like nitpicking. It does feel like being hypercritical of a side who've been excellent all season. Well, before we let you go, Phil, um, we're going to ask you to stick your neck out if you can. What's your uh, score prediction for the for the weekend, if you if you'd be so kind? I can't see it being anything but an extremely tight and, and to be honest, very entertaining game. I, I don't see Leeds winning full one um, as they did at, at Pride Park in August. I think it'll be much closer than that. Be a, I think it'll be a single goal that shades it. I, I would go for a two-one Leeds win, but quite honestly, I, I wouldn't be particularly surprised by by any scoreline on Friday night. And I, and I do, I don't know how they feel down in Derby, but I, I certainly think from Leeds United's perspective, this is this is the biggest game of the season so far. So Richard Leeds will clearly be looking for. A reaction when they play us at the weekend, but they can be got at, can't they? And with, I just think we've had a decent away away record this season, especially at our top six rivals. Um, I think we should, we should definitely be going now without without any fear, certainly. But the question is, do we attempt to park the bus and try and nick it, or do we go full throttle into sort of a slugfest like we did against West Brom and, and Norwich? Absolutely, you've got to go full throttle. I think I, I can't imagine. I just can't see us keeping a clean sheet at Ellen Road um, either way. Whether we try to try to sit off them and and invite them on, or or if we attack them. So I think we go for it. We play to our strengths, like we did against West Brom. And we might surprise a few people and bang in four goals. So I definitely say hit them, hit them with our style. See if they can deal with that uh, and take it from there. I think go go down swinging. We've been at our best uh, this season when we've gone for teams 
uh, the West Brom result was the best result we've had this season. So um, go for it. For me, it doesn't matter if we lose; it's not the end of the end of the world. I, I mean, we'll still we'll still be sick, won't we? Even if we yeah. lose. So yeah, precisely. And I, I think um, it'd be great if we can push on and maybe challenge for that top two. Um, but realistically, we've looked so far like a top six side, and a defeat against Leeds wouldn't be out of the ordinary for that. So go for it on Friday night. Have a good game um, and really get into their their back line. Now then. The January transfer window is upon us. Uh, after Christmas now, of course, Alex Pierce has already gone. He's been shipped out on loan to Millwall. Um, a lot of chat on social media about who we're going to buy, all that, all the rumours, all that nonsense. Richard, do you think we need a new centre-back or even as cover? Or do we, as Lampard has said, do we stick with what we've got? I think we need a centre-back as cover, definitely. Um, Curtis Davis won't, won't be back this season. I, I think it's unrealistic to expect to get in a centre-back who can take the place automatically of Tomori Okio. But I don't think Andre Wisdom, as the only... He's probably the only option, right, as a, as a centre-back. Maybe Tom Huddleston back in, back in the day, but I don't think Huddleston's played there for a long, long time. Wisdom played a handful of games for um, in Germany as a, as a centre-back, didn't he? Did he play in Rowett's back three as a as a centre back, or was he a, he was a wing back, wasn't he? I think he played in both the centre back and the wing back position. But um, Tamori seemed to have a knocker, I think, on Saturday, and he he didn't seem to want to use wisdom in the centre back position. So it's clear that Lampard doesn't a doesn't trust him at, at right back at the moment. Hence why I've got Bogle. Um, he certainly doesn't trust him at centre back. But he's um, the ironic thing is, is that I've actually been quite impressed with wisdom at left back in the past few games. I thought he's done pretty well. He's got up and down, got some crosses in. Even though it's not his natural position, he's done not too badly. Um, so Lampard has obviously been asked about January, what we're going to do, if we're going to get any extra bodies in. And he said, um, there will not be lots we can do. That's where we are at. That's where we were in the summer. So we had to sell Vidra with his 22 goals to generate a change in the squad. At the minute, we haven't got players out to allow them to come in. I can't really afford to lose too many because people think we have a huge squad here but we have got a huge squad in certain areas of the pitch and certain areas we haven't. So it seems to me, Richard, that Frank is trying to dampen enthusiasm for the transfer window <laughs> where, have we, where have we heard that one before? But uh, but surely we need defensive cover. I mean, especially with Pierce now out on loan. And I did put this one out on Twitter to ask uh, everyone else what they thought and the question was simply, do we need a new centre-back in January? And the answer was pretty unanimous. It was 90%, 90% who said, yes, we do. Um, just 10% saying no. So the answer seems pretty clear. Is is Lampard just, you know, just, just calling our bluff again, um, like, like what happened in the summer? Or are we really just going to attempt to battle through the second half of the season with all these injuries and inexperienced defenders? I think um, I thought Lampard's body language and tone was quite different actually in that press conference compared to the summer. I think in the summer he was obviously very upbeat, he was new in the job, he accepted the position and, and maybe he was he was calling everyone's bluff and, and playing playing the game quite well. I think if he if he's playing the game again, I think he's a very good actor. Because I, I thought he looked, not disillusioned, I think that's a bit strong to say, but I did think he looked a bit kind of Look, this is the state, and I think he was telling the truth. I think we'd all love to see a strong, established championship leader come in and make an immediate impact, but the truth is there aren't that many of them out there. It doesn't look like, if we're being realistic, we're in a position 
to shut out for that that kind of thing. But when when you ask that question, Chris, on on Twitter, you also ask people to put forward some ideas of who they thought might be good uh, good names to come in, whether it's on the cheap, on the free, or, or on the loan. Um, there were some interesting names and some blasts in the past as well were fired at us. So I'll recap a few of those. Stephen Colker, uh, a free agent. Uh, I'm not sure if you two remember Stephen Colker, ex Tottenham. Uh, he made three appearances Liverpool in 2016 as a striker, which was quite odd. He ended up at Dundee at the end, end of last season uh, and then was released at the end of August. And he's been quite public about having a depression and drinking problems. So that's probably an unlikely one, but he is available. Um, Gary Cahill was mentioned as well. I think that's very unrealistic considering the wages, the, the wages problem that we've got. And he's probably on very big wages there. He's been linked with Fulham. So I think a Premier League move is probably more likely for for Gary Cahill. Uh, someone mentioned Scott McKenna as well at Aberdeen. Um, but again, I think the Celtic had a 3.5 million offer rejected for him in August. Um, so again, I don't think that's a realistic one. And then um, Paul Limbert, at Paul Limbert, suggested Ben Wilmot, the 19-year-old Watford centre-back who joined the Hornets from Stevenage in the summer after breaking through there last season. Uh, he would be, I think he sounds like a good sign. I haven't seen much of him. He's obviously an up-and-coming player. He's played for the England's youth teams. Um, but again, does it solve the problem? Just an, uh, an, another young player coming in might not be what we need. Um, but Paul Limber and Chris Hudson also put forward Charlton's Patrick Bauer, um, who has played more than 100 times for the Addicts. He's highly rated and out of contract in the summer. So depending on the financial situation at the Valley, maybe there is a deal to be done there if the Rams are interested. So there's probably a few options out there. Um, but if we're honest, I think we're more lo- more likely looking at a young loan signing just to provide some cover. And I noticed that uh, I think Blackburn are in for uh, Bauer on there as well. I think there's a Rover supporting uh, colleague of mine who, who tweeted about that recently. So I mean, it's not as if you put a name forward and we can just snap them up. I mean, we have to persuade them to join and we have to be the best proposition available so it's not just a case of um you know getting in anyone that we take that you know that takes our fancy but Tom what I'm interested in is do you think another striker is an option I mean don't get me wrong you know Marriott's having a fantastic first season it's really hit the ground running but I think if the last two games illustrated anything I know Marriott scored in the cup it's that we can't be too reliant on him and I just think that when you look at teams who are in, a, you know, in and around that top six, they usually tend to have three out-and-out striking options, don't they? We don't really seem to have that. So, and given some of the qualities that he shares with Nugent, as in they do share a lot of similar attributes, don't they? I just wonder if it'd be the worst idea to, you know, maybe look at someone else or or try a different option. Yeah, both uh, Nugent and Marriott are sort of a hustle and bustle centre forward, aren't they? Chasing down the defenders, uh, and they are very similar, as you say. I actually don't think we need another striker. I'd love to see Waghorn be given a genuine chance and um, talk through the middle. If if Marriott's not firing on all cil- cylinders, take him out the side and then uh, and put Wag- Waghorn there. At the moment, Marriott's doing fine, uh, scoring goals, so no problem with that. But th- there's op- enough options in the squad, and I'm surprised that Waghorn hasn't been used so far this season. If we had the option, we've only got a limited budget. Lampard said that. Uh, this has obviously been talked about quite quite a lot on social media. Do you want a striker or do you want a centre back? I'd definitely go for a centre back uh, at this time. The problem is, is that a centre back of experienced Championship quality, Aidan Flint, for example, ten and a half million pound. We haven't got that sort of money, um, so it's going to be very difficult to replace and get someone in who's better than uh, Keo and better or better than Tomori. Um, so yeah, Dublin in a difficult position, I think, at the moment. Three words for you, Richard. 
Nick Blackman recall. I, yeah, I just don't agree, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just I, I agree with it. Tom. I don't. I just don't know why anyone would think we need a striker when you've got. And I was going to say exactly the same thing about Waghorn. We haven't really seen Waghorn through the middle. I'd much rather see. I think Nugent does a good job off the bench. He's a good option off the bench. I don't want to see him starting. He's lost any kind of finishing skills he used to have. Um, he never looks convinced in front of goal. And Waghorn scored goals at Ipswich last season, and he scored goals when he has played out wide for us this season. So for me, Martin Waghorn is the obvious uh, backup to Jack Marriott if, if he if he goes down. I'm going to put that down as a, a firm maybe for the Nick, Nick Blackman recall. <laughs> How, how is he doing? You need to look it up. <laughs> I, I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, elsewhere, um, we, we can't really go an episode about mentioning him, but um, it is actually newsworthy this time. George Thorne confirmed as being loaned out to uh, to Luton, who uh, are currently riding high in League One, uh, so we'll be keeping a close eye on him. But it finally looks like the start of the, of the long goodbye, doesn't it? I mean, I, uh, I've got a Luton fan at work, actually, who um, who was getting very excited about the uh, the prospects of uh, George Thorne dropping down a division. Um, and the word from him, I was asking him about it, and we were chatting about the George Thorne situation, is that Luton's owner or, or manager, um, one of the two, only tends to go for loans when there's a permanent at the end of it. So they're not just looking for a stop back, a stopgap here. I think they are looking to get him down there permanently. So although a lot of the talk, I imagine Richard, will be about getting Thorne minutes and back to his best and maybe, I don't know, extending his contracts, even as crazy an option as that sounds, I think, um, you know, it's end of days for him, but another person off the wage bill, on the other hand. Yeah, absolutely. I think Derby County fans need to get used to it or get used to the idea that uh, George Ford is not going to play for Derby County again, uh, rightly or wrongly. What I, what I didn't realise, actually, from his quotes today is he's actually from the Luton area. He's from the Bedford area. So um, he's actually, he's, I don't think it's his local club, but he definitely has family in that area and he grew up uh, in kind of the North, North London um, area. So that, that's an interesting dimension for it as well. Might help the move for him. Um, look, he's... As I said, rightly or wrongly, he's not going to play for Derby County again. Uh, I think the club has run out of patience in him. And I'm not sure Frank uh, is too interested in Fawn. He's probably, I think with Fawn's situation, it's probably one of two situations. He's either on high weekly wages, which means they're desperate to get him off the wage bill at the end of this year. Or he's got a highly incentivized deal based on appearances, which is probably more likely considering his injury problems and the fact he extended it last season, which means that we don't want to play him. Uh, because he's obviously going to get paid uh, probably quite a high appearance fee. So that's, that's probably what's going on there. So I think for all concerned, let's really hope that he has an impressive five months injury-free, helps get Luton promoted in terms of permanent either with the Hatters or, or another team next season. All right then. Well, that's all we've got time for for this podcast. Um, a lot to uh, a lot to have got through there. Um, safe journey up to all the Derby fans going to Ellen Road this weekend and those... Crazy, crazy enough to be uh, going all the way down to Southampton for the cup replay. We'll be back in a couple of weeks around uh, January the 22nd. Hopefully more points on the board for Derby by then. But until then, Tom, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. And Richard, see you again in the flesh in the very near future. Thank you. See you soon. And don't forget, you can always follow us on social, as you know by now, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Steve Bloomerpod. Thanks for listening as always. Don't forget to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes and we'll see you again shortly.